Sit back and listen and enjoy my podcast about health, wellness, fitness, yoga, business, and life. I talk about everything from ways of eating healthy, mindfulness, yoga, working out, manifesting, to pop culture, momming, adulting. I try to have fun and laugh at myself along the way of my sometimes stressed out and frazzled life. This is Fit, Fun, and Frazzled, and I am your host, Nikki Lanigan. This is episode 159 of Fit, Fun, and Frazzled. I'm your host, Nikki Lanigan. Today we are joined by my guest, Ashley Turner. I'm really excited for this episode. I'm honored. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Ashley really needs no introduction at all, but I will go really quickly through her bio, which is long and amazing. She is the founder of Yoga Psychology, the founder of Yoga Psyche Soul, an advanced yoga psychology training for yoga teachers, therapists, and students. I am personally a student of this course and have taken it. She has graced and contributed to many top-tier publications and podcasts, including Self Magazine, Shape Magazine, Mantra, Origin, Women's Health, Yoga Journal, and Natural Health. Ashley has graced such lists such as 100 Women in Wellness to Watch by Mind Body Green, 100 Most Influential Yoga Teachers in the U.S., Top 100 Psychology Blogs. Ashley uses her innovative fusion of yoga, depth psychology, mindfulness, shadow work, and neuroscience to work with clients worldwide. She is an online yoga and meditation teacher. She has classes. She has a membership subscription platform called The Haven. At the end of the episode, I will... Well, Ashley leaves where you can find her and also head to my show notes to click on the links where you could find her. In today's episode, we talk about her background, how she found yoga, meditation, coaching, psychotherapy, and how she became a teacher of all this. We also talk about the glorification of busyness, hustle culture. How our emotions and trauma get stored in our bodies and manifest into gut issues, back pain, neck pain, all of that, and how yoga, meditation, psychotherapy can help us. She talks about shadow work and how we can use it in our own lives and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Again, I'm so grateful and honored that Ashley joined us today and enjoy, guys. Welcome back to Fit, Fun, and Frazzled. I'm Nikki Lanigan, and we are joined by my guest, Ashley Turner. Thank you, Ashley. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for joining us. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Well, so May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I've been trying to get my followers and even my kids to realize Instagram is a highlight reel and to always check in on people, check in on neighbors, friends your social media community. Um, so I want to ask, um, how are you doing? I love that question. <laughs> I have, um, 
I've been better. It's been a really intense phase of my life. Mm-hmm. I would say the last year and a half, I've really had to step away from Instagram quite a bit. And, um, I, I've been sort of telling the story, but I have a two and a half year old. So I'm raising a toddler and still kind of in that introduction to motherhood. It's my first child and only child. And, um, that postpartum new motherhood coinciding with perimenopause, because I had my daughter later in life in my mid forties. And, and so perimenopause has honestly hit me like a Mack truck and the hormonal, uh, roller coaster has Mm -hmm. led to a lot of depression, anxiety, and really, I think overwhelm. And so I've really had to take on all of my practices and mental health practices and self-care practices and really deepen into a protocol to steady myself out and balance myself and get back to some different version, a new version, um, but of, of wellness. And so it's had a big impact, I would say on, in my life over the last year and a half. I feel that too, but I feel like I'm supposed to be posting on Instagram every day. And sometimes I'm just like, I, I'm not there. I'm also a very creative individual. So if I'm not inspired, I don't just want to post to post. I have to feel like I'm sharing something worthwhile to them, like the followers and stuff. Yeah. Um, The same. I've really, I've, I think I have enough of a rebel in me. That's just like, if you tell me I have to do something, I'm probably going to try to find a reason why I don't have to do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I've been railing against a little bit, this mainstream, even though I was an advocate for it and, you know, you've been in my programs and coaching and, and there are reasons why it's really good to, of course, add value and serve your audience and your customers with really high value content. And we are human beings. And especially as women, we ebb and flow and our work cycles and our intensity levels ebb and flow. And I've really had to make peace with the fact that I'm in a phase, a season of life where I, my generative energy is being called to my family and my home and my daughter and myself Mm -hmm. and not pouring into my audience or my students as much. I'm still doing it, but just not as nearly as much. And I have, you know, literally been posting like once a week, if that, you know, really going a couple of weeks without posting. Yeah. And it feels very liberating. It feels like I need to come into right relationship and figure out what that relationship is for me and reclaim that instead of just automatically going with, you know, some formula that we've been taught, which mostly comes from sort of a bro internet marketing world and also a very capitalistic world. And so Mm -hmm. I really firmly believe that we can make great money and and have thriving careers and be in our feminine nature. And I want to model that and teach that to other people. So I'm figuring it out for myself, but that's the conversation that I'm in. Well, you do a good job, (laughs) Um, but you did mention, so Ashley is actually one of my personal teachers, mentors, coaches. I've worked one-on-one with her. I've done her programs, workshops. Um, So I know some of your backstory, but can you share with the listeners um, about how you found yoga, then becoming a teacher, and then a psychotherapist? 
Yes, I found yoga in 1997. I've been practicing yoga for 26, 27 years. Mm -hmm. And when I found it, it really quite immediately started to change my life. I was always athletic and I was always very spiritual. So it was a really natural fit for me. And I got into power, vinyasa yoga, um, strong yoga. One of my teachers was Brian Kest. My original teacher, I always have to quote is Govindas, who now owns Bhakti Yoga Shala. And um, when I started doing the practice, it really started healing me from the inside out. I wouldn't have said at the time that I was depressed, but I definitely had a lot of challenges in my early 20s, low self-esteem, body image issues, definitely um, loneliness, isolation, mm-hmm. depression, anxiety to some, probably not anxiety as much, but more depression. and. I wouldn't have named all of those things at the time, but all I knew is that when I started doing yoga, I felt better. I knew my day was going to be okay and good. And it started re I started reclaiming my sense of self. I had a really strong sense of self before that. And then had some, you know, intense traumatic experiences in my early twenties. And it just started to get, get me back to myself. And so shortly into that journey, Personally, I realized I wanted to start teaching. It it was just a calling. It was very clear Mm -hmm. that if they could do it, I could do it. I wanted to start offering and and being creative and serving in this way. So I've been teaching for almost 25 years. And and then a couple of years into teaching, I realized that, you know, there were these big shifts happening for myself personally, mentally, emotionally, watching aspects of my personality change. Mm -hmm. And of course, seeing the same um, benefits in my students, as well as big emotional releases, having aha moments coming up to me after class and sort of spilling their heart to me. And I realized I wanted to have more tools to help them take their yoga off the mat, so to speak. And I had a couple of friends at the time that had gotten their master's in psychology. They were also yoga teachers. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to understand how does yo- how is yoga working psychologically? How is it that I'm on my mat for an hour, an hour and a half, and it's creating real tangible shifts in yeah. my mind and in my emotional body. So I decided to go back and get my master's, become licensed as a psychotherapist. And my work now and has been for the last 20 years is really this integration of yoga and Western psychology. And what are the somatic practices, the spiritual practices? How can we look at mental health from a really holistic model, the whole person physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, energetically, Mm. I believe that is the model for healing that we need to be um, aiming towards in any kind of medical environment, treatment environment, and wrote my master's thesis on it. And then, as you know, started my my school, Yoga Psyche Soul is my program. Um, I have the Center for Yoga Psychology. So I've been training both mental health professionals and yoga professionals how to integrate the two. And now we've recently launched our app to serve the community, the general public with guided meditations, yoga practices, and mental health tools. It's called The Haven. Um, and we're going to be rolling that out in a much bigger way in the near future. So it's really exciting. It's definitely, I think, one of the leading edges in mental health. We know what a crisis mental health is, really an epidemic mm-hmm. right now. And we need holistic tools. We need tools that are addressing the whole person. And yeah. it's thrilling. I, I really believe that the yoga canon has a much broader scope of tools to help us 
than traditional Western um, psychology, psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. There are some schools, of course, that are more integrated in the Western model, but yoga meditation has so many different aspects and doorways for us to open and offer our clients that are life-changing. So it's exciting. Yeah. Well, last summer when we were doing our one-on-ones, it started with just like business coaching. And then Mm -hmm. I had my back pain, like horrible back pain, couldn't do anything. And the one day you did a meditation with me and everything just came up. I didn't even think I was going to share things with you that I did. And then we realized I had like stored emotions and anger and sadness in my body. So can you explain like how we store emotions in our bodies and then it manifests to back pain, neck pain, headache? (laughs) It's such a great question. So one of the models and the frameworks that I use, of course, is the chakra system. And I love that it's a cornerstone of my work. But I think if the, the best way to start thinking about yourself or the human experience is these five layers. Yoga teaches us about the five koshas, which are five layers of self. As I mentioned, the physical body, we understand tangibly what that is, is that what you can see and touch your cellular physical body. And then the energetic body, which is consists of our chakras, the 70,000 nadis or lines of energy, the meridians in Chinese medicine, what we work with in Reiki or any kind of energetic healing. And this is your life force. So we know that you can have a body, um, but you can have no spirit in that body. You can be looking at a dead body and there's no life force in it. And so we are not our bodies, right? But we are that energy that inhabits the body. So the energetic body is crucial. And then we have our emotional body, which is our feelings. And that correlates to often to sensations in the body. And then our thoughts, our thoughts are a different, we want to decouple our thoughts and our emotions and realize that we can have a thought just because we have a thought doesn't mean it's true. Mm -hmm. And our thoughts are the interpretation of our stories are the way we make meaning about what's happening. And that is what then creates the emotion, the emotional response to that thing. I'll go into this a little more. And so we have physical, energetic, emotional, mental, they become more and more subtle as we go. And then the fifth is the spiritual body, our spiritual nature, which is to say that we are a soul we are spirits having a human experience and mm-hmm. we know that the soul lives on and the soul is what's animating the form, the temple of our body. So when we have an experience, it can be a totally neutral experience. Let's say, I, I like to use this one because it's pretty tangible. Let's say you're out there dating, you go on a date, you really like the person and then they don't call you back. Two different people can have extremely different interpretations of that experience. Mm-hmm. And it's a totally neutral experience. It's just a data point. And that's where we want to start strengthening the witness mind, our neutral mind that, okay, this person didn't call back. Well, the first thing that happens is your mind goes into its catalog of past experiences and then pulls up, I call it like the Dewey decimal system, you know, pulls up that card (laughs) and says, or you can think of it like your computer going into the software and pulling up the file and saying, Oh, they're not calling you back. Oh, this reminds me of when I was 16 and I got dumped or when my husband left me or whatever it might be. Or you might not have that experience. You might have the memory or the catalog of like, oh yeah, they're probably just busy. No worries. I'll give them space. And I'm sure they'll reach out when they 
want. So immediately your mind makes a determination of, is this pleasure or is this pain? Do mm -hmm. I want to move towards this experience or do I want to move away from this experience? Let's say you have an interpretation that, oh, maybe you have a core wound of rejection or a core wound of you know low self-esteem. You might go to the tendency of, they don't like me. I knew I did this on the date. They're never going to call me. That was so stupid of me. You maybe go into self-beat. You go into that tape running in your head. Well, now you've created a whole illusion around a story. You never even checked in. You don't even know what's going on with the person. They might be busy. They might've gotten a big project at work. Their grandmother might be dying. Who knows what's going on? They have cold, you know? Yeah. And so you create a whole story around it immediately based on that thought. This is all mostly going on unconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. Based on that thought, your body then has an energetic response. So typically we have the binary of yes, pleasure, going towards it, feel good, opening in the body mm -hmm. or no pain, aversion. I don't want to feel that constriction in the body. So when we have a constriction in the body, our energy contracts. Often there's a postural component to that, a somatic component to that. And this is where we can start to clench and find that energetic repression or compression, mm -hmm. constriction, tightness. And so over time, the more and more we have of these layered on experiences of restriction or tightness, um, avoidance, it starts to create a holding pattern in the body. Now, most of this is going on unconsciously and the practice of yoga and awakening and consciousness is to start unpacking it and becoming more aware of what we're doing when we're doing it or as soon after as possible. So that constriction creates a holding pattern. And now all of a sudden we have the third part, which is the emotional response. So we have the thought of, oh, maybe it's rejection. Maybe they don't like me. Now we have an emotional response of feeling sad, feeling insecure, feeling down on ourselves. Again, I mentioned self-beat, maybe self-criticism, anger, you know, whatever story your mind and your emotional body are most habitually addicted to, that is yeah. going to be the tendency that you're going to go down. So we want to start to unpack and unravel and create some pattern interrupt so we're not just going down these same, in yoga, we call them samskaras, these same mm -hmm. grooves in our mind and our emotions that then create the same loops and patterns in our life. So we want to interrupt that pattern. One of the best ways I, I talk a lot about working in two different directions, we work bi-directionally. You can change from the outside in, meaning you can go into the body and start opening up physically, somatically, unwinding tension patterns releasing some of this energy, whether it's through working out yoga, um, Kundalini yoga, you know, Kriyas mm -hmm. that help clear the energetic body tapping somatic work. Um, S E work is really good. Any, anything that's focused on the body that will start to unwind those patterns and then release that emotion and the energy. So that's why we can have emotional releases when we're going through the body. We can mm -hmm. also work from the inside out and we can work to start changing our thought patterns. As we mentioned, becoming more conscious, more aware, noticing our thinking and emotional patterns to shape shift the stories that we're telling ourselves 
Yeah. And then that can have a create a ripple effect out into the body, um, energetically and physically. I, so that's, that's one a example. really good ex- explanation. Um, that makes like so much more sense. You just explained it really well. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. And that's one example. Of course, we're doing this all the time, every day. And yeah. We're really, all we're doing in human life is just bouncing off of each other, our own stories, our own unconscious mm-hmm. patterns. And so that's why relationship with other is really the most fertile ground for our awakening. Because again, you could actually talk to that person and they could just say, oh, you know what? I, you know, got so overwhelmed with work. I realized I really am not in the space to be dating anyone right now. Or, um, you know, I got sick, whatever. I need to put some attention on it has nothing to do with you at all. Right. Yeah. And you're choosing to take it personally. And so being an, able to have conscious conversation, communication, crystal clear communication is so important. And even mm-hmm. if it, even if they do have some observation about us, that still isn't about us. That's just about their perception. So we're just always running off our projections and perceptions on each other. That's why your relationship with yourself is so important Yeah, and being able to be in conscious communication and learn and open up and um, be available to whatever the lessons are that are unfolding. Mm-hmm. That's my kids. They used to do yoga with me when they were little and they really don't anymore. They're a tween and a teenager. Um, but I really, I practice like positive affirmations with them because I heard it was like, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and Mm -hmm. like 75 or 80% are negative. And they're the same thoughts that we had the day before or the week before it's just repeated. So I really try every day to start their days, like just saying positive affirmations and, you know, sometimes they're receptive to them. Sometimes they're like, mom, stop. Like, but I just keep doing it because I want them to just start, you know, with a good relationship with themselves and love themselves, um, kind of switching gears. Okay. So we live in the world of glorification with busyness and hustle culture. What do you do to make sure you're taking care of yourself and your self-care practices? You know, for me lately, as I mentioned, it's been a real, um, reconditioning process over the last year and a half, I would say where I, was really identified as a successful entrepreneur and kind of type A personality and in the hustle. And for a long time in my twenties and thirties and early forties, like I, it was my natural state. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And there is, um, a lot of fulfillment, you know, because I really was doing my Dharma in a big way and still am, but I had to really unplug from that and look at my own ego, egoic addiction to achievements and pride and, you know, these external, the way that we do glorify all of these external validations and instead really think about, and I think this is hopefully something that we do not that naturally arises in midlife, you know, and with, you know, sometimes it's with having a child, sometimes it's with hitting perimenopause or menopause or, you know, any other big life threshold that it forces us, of course, a diagnosis, it forces us to ask different questions of what is really going to make me happy. What is really, what is success, my definition of success. And for me right now, you know, and that's the other thing is that it always changes in our life. So we have to have practices that really keep us attuned 
to what is meaningful and powerful for you right now. This phase of life may be different than a year ago or five years ago, for sure it is for me. And it, for me, it takes a real discipline to double down on my definition of success and unplug from the noise online. And that's one of the reasons that I had to really step away from Instagram because I did find myself getting swept up into FOMO, even with all the practices Mm -hmm. and all of the, you know, insight that I have still getting caught up in FOMO, or we should be doing this, or I should be doing that, or Mm -hmm. they're going off on this trajectory. And I want to, you know, my competitive nature wants to, you know, be up there with that. And instead thinking about well, where am I, what is my body calling for? What is my family calling for? And so the practices that I have to do, which is a very strong discipline and it's not easy for me is to slow down and make sure that I have time, hopefully every day, certainly every week to really drop in, to really attune. So meditation is a big one. Getting out in nature is huge. I think that's mm-hmm. almost even more powerful for me to be in nature naturally my, my nervous system slows down to the rhythm of nature. And I can hear, um, my, myself, I can hear my truth a little more easily when I'm out of the fray of all the frenetic energy. I also live in Los Angeles. So it's very intense living in a big city and we can lose ourselves. We can, it's harder for me. It's harder to hear myself. There's so much going on also as an empath and a highly sensitive person. So getting on nature, you know, um, meditation, getting into my body for sure, both training. I really love training, lifting weights, running, mm-hmm. hiking, and yoga, um, and Pilates, you know, all of it. So getting in my body keeps me really close to my truth. Um, getting in nature space, being with, you know, really, really choosing my community wisely and being extremely intentional and vigilant with the friendships that I develop and that the, the particularly women, but women and men that I'm spending the most time around are in the same conversation that I am and are helping me to elevate that conversation. I am constantly reducing time with people who may be in scarcity mentality, may not be having similar goals as I am. And it's not a judgment and it's nothing Mm -hmm. bad. It's just that I know that our time and energy is so precious that I need to be highly intentional about the people that I surround myself with. And, and then the other thing that has been really, really helpful is making sure that I am in mentorship. I'm being mentored by my own teachers, my own colleagues, and sitting with people having practices, you know, let's say at least quarterly plant medicine ceremonies are very, very helpful for me. They are a vision quest. So I work with psilocybin, with ayahuasca, with um, MDMA, mm-hmm. and they really help. I've actually recently started working with CBD with no THC, just CBD every day has really helped open my mind and get me clear. But plant medicine ceremonies with mentorship and with guidance, um, that also keeps me really aligned. So those are, that's a lot of, um, a lot of tools, but th- that's my sort of super pack there. Oh, I love that. I have, so I live in Cleveland, so it's, well, not in Cleveland, but a suburb of Cleveland, but just started to get nice here. And I started going outside walking again, and I forgot how much that just a 20 minute, even a 20 minute walk outside, like puts me in the best mood and I could walk outside in the winter. I don't know why. I mean, I just choose 
to go on the treadmill in the winter, but I have to remind myself, yeah. get outside. It's good. It's so it's so fresh. I used to live in Aspen, Colorado, and I would always resist because it was so cold. But if you, mm-hmm. you're properly dressed, it's so fresh and it's so awake and there's medicine for every season, right? The nature is, is so much medicine in that fallowness of winter and the austerity and the cold um, mm-hmm. has a lot of insight and medicine. But yeah, I hear you on that for sure. Um, can you share with us what shadow work is and how it can help us in our lives. Mm -hmm. Shadow work. So the psychology that I studied, I went to Pacifica Graduate Institute and it's located outside of Santa Barbara. And it's, it's oriented towards depth psychology and depth psychology simply means that we're, we're looking at the iceberg of consciousness. We're looking at what's under water, what's in the unseen. We are very attuned and tending to the unconscious realm. And so the shadow, it's very Jungian based. Joseph Campbell's library is at Pacifica. Um, mm-hmm. So works a lot with archetypes, any, any tools that help us to integrate the unconscious into the conscious. And so you can really think of your consciousness as an iceberg and what you're operating from on a daily basis. I mean, I think that the percentage is not even 10%. It's like maybe 5% of what you're, I need to look this statistic up, but what you're actually operating on consciously is a very minimal amount of your capacity, mm-hmm. your brain capacity, your, your consciousness capacity. And so we want to ha- increase our spectrum, right? Increase our capacity for awareness and begin to bring that unconscious forward. So if you think of the image of a shadow, say you're standing out on a sunny day, you can see your shadow, but there's a couple of interesting features. It's pretty amorphous. It's not a clear Mm -hmm. outline. Um, The edges are fuzzy. It's also a bit distorted, right? Depending on the angle of the, the light source, you're getting different angles of your shadow. And also when you move, your shadow is also moving with you. So you can never quite get a clear look at your shadow, maybe yeah. if the light source is behind you, but even then it's moving. And so it's a, it's a, a useful image and metaphor for what we're doing in any kind of conscious awareness work, therapeutic work is that we're trying to uncover and get different reflections of what's really running the show under the surface. So that's our core wounds. That's our, all of our conditioning, which we've all been conditioned so intensely in a very patriarchal society in a very capitalistic society. There's a lot more that comes with that white supremacist society needs to be mentioned. Mm -hmm. So our conditioning and the belief systems and the mores that we have are embedded. They're entrenched much of it pre-verbal and pre-cognitive. We're not even aware of it. It's in in yoga, we talk about in the lake bed of consciousness, it, all of these impressions are sitting in the lake bed of our consciousness. And so we want to do different practices to begin to unpack that and question our questions, question our thoughts, question our assumptions, our worldview, um, of course, become more clear about what are the patterns that are driving my life? What are the relational patterns? What do I believe about relationships? What do I believe about myself, about money, about family? Um, looking at all of our core belief systems. And then of course we have core wounds and traumas 
and the way those have impacted us, which we've all experienced to different degrees. And so it's an endless journey. I don't, I really think it's important for people to set the paradigm of the journey is the destination. There is no destination. And I don't even believe, I've really been playing with the concept of, I don't even know that we're actually ever healed, you know, or Mm -hmm. healed that trauma um, where we're on the other side, because from my experience as both a clinician, as a person, I just see the patterns still continue to come. Hopefully they're much less um, directive. They have much less force. We have more awareness around them, but most likely for the rest of our lives, certain imprints will continue to arise. And the work is how quickly can we attend to them and then move through to the other side or you know, adapt. And maybe hopefully there are some things that we get through and really do create concrete shifts and changes, but much of it is more on a spectrum. So shadow work is whatever tools work for you to begin to live more consciously. I think it's incredibly important, if not imperative to work with some sort of a personal coach or therapist that can help walk you through your journey, especially if you're dealing with big T trauma. If you know Mm -hmm. that you've had some really traumatic experiences or core wounds or attachment injuries in your life, it's really important to get personalized work for at least a while addiction, of course. Um, And then there's a lot you can do with different courses online, you know, your own exercises, journaling books, um, bibliotherapy is what we call that apps, different apps, but I would caution against just turning to pop psychology on Instagram or, Mm -hmm. you know, apps and online spaces. I do think it's really important to be working with someone at least for some period of time, individually, someone that's in the room with you, that's reading your body, that's helping you, you know, giving you pushback and, and holding that space for you. So that's shadow work. There's a lot of different approaches to it. We did. You did with me the journaling, the rinse journaling. I remember that. Yeah, that's good. I still do that. I did it with my. I do it with my kids too, if they let me. If they're in the mood. <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah, there's so many tools that, you know. Another thing we do in my community membership, all every full moon, we have an emotional processing call, mm-hmm. and we do a practice that I learned from my teacher Mona Miller called rinsing, emotional rinsing, or anger work. Um, also kind of came out of Est, uh, that, that movement back in the seventies, eighties, but it's just a way of releasing energetically yeah. out of our body. Cause remember these five bodies are intertwined. They're overlapping concentric circles. They don't exist in a vacuum. And so if you have an emotion uprising, it's going to have a, an imprint in the physical body and the energetic body. So you want to release it from the energetic physical body. I don't, I really think, you know, my framework, of course, is working all of these different layers simultaneously to some degree, not just in a silo. So while I think talk therapy is great, I also think Mm -hmm. it's imperative to move into the body and the energetic body. And while I think yoga is great, I also think it's really important that you're working with some sort of a coach or therapist at some point to help address the underlying stories and belief systems. Yeah. Do you have time to do a few fun, like rapid fire questions? You don't sure. have to answer them rapidly, yes. but of um, I would love do that. You have, do you have a favorite quote? 
Oh, yes, I do. It's from the Tao Te Ching and it's Shloka 45, if you know the Tao Te Ching. This is from the Stephen Mitchell translation. And the quote is, true perfection seems imperfect, yet it is perfectly itself. I love that so much. True perfection seems imperfect, yet it is perfectly itself. It goes on. True straightness seems crooked. True art seems artless. The master allows things to come and shapes events, um, allows things to be as they are and shapes events as they come. So true straightness seems crooked. Your path might seem crooked. Mm -hmm. It's straight. It's your straight path, right? True art seems artless when things are really ugly, when they're intense, when um, you can't understand what's going on. There is a mastery in that. There is a perfection in that. And then a master allows things to um, allows things to be as they are, and she shapes events as they come. So there's an uh, there's there's an imperative that we are in surrender, that we are in co-creation with the universe, that things will arise that we may not think we want, but can we stay open to them and use them? The other quote I would say, which you probably heard me say is from Ramdas, your life is your curriculum. I think in this day and age that we get very caught up in intellectual um, egoic pursuit. Like I need more, mm-hmm. I need to take this online course. Everybody online is hawking some, you know, including myself, you know, but some training or some tool, something you need. Mm-hmm. But I really, truly believe that your life is your curriculum. What is unfolding in your life, your relationship, your body, your family, your bank account is the medicine for you. It is the, the library book that you need to um, turn towards. So instead of looking out there, I would encourage you to look in here. Your life is your curriculum. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Do you have a favorite book or books you recommend? Definitely. I love the Tao Te Ching as one that you can just pull out and very short passages. It's nice like on the daily to just get a quick hit. Any kind of wisdom book that that calls you, I would say, you know, maybe you come from the Juda- Judaism tradition or Christianity or, you know, Buddhism or what whatever spiritual tradition really calls to you you know, work with that book, work with one Mm -hmm. of the key um, literatures from that, from that tradition consistently, you know, you don't just read the Bible once and think like, oh, you got it, you know, or the Tao Te Ching or the Mm -hmm. Bhagavad Gita. It's like, these are tomes that we pour over for a lifetime. So deepen, um, deepen into the book that you feel. I also love my teacher, Mona Miller's book. If you're really looking for some mental, emotional, frameworks and tools. It's very practical. It's a little wacky. She was amazing. And, but it's very practical. There's a, it's called invisible warfare. You can get it on Amazon. And then there's a, um, a book that goes with a workbook, I should say that goes with it. So invisible warfare and the invisible warfare workbook. And that's by Mona Miller. So those are, those are really good starts. Um, of course, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, the sutras, but that can all get quite dense. So I really think whatever tools are working for you go towards that whatever teachers you're called to go towards that that's good (laughs) um what is on your nightstand 
Well, right now I always have like 10 books on my nightstand. It's kind of bonkers. Um, I am trying to up-level the systems in my business. So I currently have traction and profit first on my nightstands, mm-hmm. but I'm not reading those to be honest. <laughs> I'm trying to motivate to read those. Yeah. Um, there's another incredible book. I'm really trying to get myself to read more fiction because I just oh tend towards the nonfiction. Part of that self-care is like, I just deserve pleasure and mm-hmm. like take the take the pedal, foot off the gas pedal. Just chill, you know? Um, there's a book that I've had forever that I finally got into called Chronicles of Tao. And it's a book about a Taoist master in Chinese culture in like the 1800s and the whole culture of Taoist masters up in the mountains. It's very mystical and mythical. And I like that. Um, I just gave my, my cousin who's our au pair is here. And I just gave her mists of Avalon, which is another one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I have a couple of children's books on my nightstand for my daughter. (laughs) Um, coffee, tea, matcha, nothing. (laughs) I am obsessed with my English breakfast tea with honey and half and half. It's like, I'm almost addicted to it, um, for decades. So I really love my English breakfast tea. Um, I have that gene mutation for caffeine. I like coffee once in a while. I had some yesterday, but I'm very sensitive. I have to do decaf. So I, but my mm-hmm. tea is like my, my baby blanket. <laughs> yeah. Where can everyone find you? Your website, your Instagram handles. Yes. And I'll leave all this in my show notes. Too. I would say at the moment, Instagram is probably the best place, even though I haven't been on it that much. Um, we're getting, we're doing a whole rebrand and new website, which the website is ashleyturner.co. It's honestly outdated. And maybe you'll listen to this later and it'll be up to speed. Um, and Instagram is Ashley Turner one and also yoga psychology on Instagram. Those are the best places. We also have a Facebook group, um, which has over 20,000 members, which is Mm -hmm. a private Facebook group for anyone interested in yoga psychology. And you can just look up yoga psychology on Facebook and it's on there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you everyone for listening. Feel free to DM me. If you listen, you have any questions, I'm happy to shoot you another DM back. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Fit, Fun, and Frazzled. You can find Ashley at ashleyturner.org. You can head to Instagram and find her at Ashley Turner one or at yoga psychology. If you like this episode, please go to wherever you listen to your podcast, leave a five-star rating review. Please share this with someone else you think might enjoy it. Please share this on Instagram in your stories and tag myself and Ashley. Make sure to take some time out this week and this weekend, put on your oxygen mask first and take care of yourself.